Welcome to Rants About Humanity, a podcast where we interview guest experts with passionate opinions about important topics that don't get enough attention. Raw, unfiltered, thought-provoking perspectives with no censorship. With your host, Philip Van Houta. Welcome everyone to the Rants About Humanity podcast. Today I have Molly Elmore as a guest. Molly has been in the online media and marketing space for two decades and recently started to focus on technology and cryptocurrencies and also someone who speaks her truth, which I value a lot. The potential for Bitcoin and crypto to change how we as a society exchange value. Money has amazing potential and I invited her on this podcast to talk more about it and about what's going on with the financial system at the moment. Welcome on the podcast. Right now at the moment, the crypto has been going down a bit. And now just on this day, it's going up a bit. Do you have any idea like what's going on in the crypto world right now? Sure. So at the end of the year, a lot of people often sell off investments, stocks, whatever you want to call it, crypto investments to kind of close out the year. So the theory is, is that a lot of people are just sort of what we call taking profit at the end of the year. And it isn't necessarily a big cause for concern. The, the big test will be when January comes and the new year starts, do those tokens and coins rebound? Now, for me, somebody who is putting money into the cryptocurrencies, this is a great time to buy. It's like they're on sale. So we're getting a deal on a lot of these tokens that might have been a little bit overvalued a couple months ago. So I, I'm not alarmed. I think that the test will be clear in January on how quickly some of these prices rebound. Can you maybe talk a bit about the mysterious origins of Bitcoin and the founder? Yes. I'm old enough that I clearly remember the financial crisis of 2008 and 2009. It was a crazy time where a lot of people had mortgages. I'm going to really talk about what happened in the U.S. because I'm from, from the U.S. and Kind of remember that part of it more clearly. Or watch a lot the big, of people or who watch had the big, big short, I think. Big short, right? The movie. Okay. Yeah. I knew a lot of people who bought homes kind of in the middle 2000s who couldn't really afford them. And they were given these amazing deals on mortgages. I actually bought my own house in 2006. And I remember clearly them trying to talk me into this variable interest rate because they're like, interest rates are only going to go down. You're only going to get a better deal. But I was too scared to do that. So I actually opted for a fixed mortgage rate, which I'm very glad of. Because what happened was a ton of people ended up losing their homes because those interest rates went up. They couldn't make the payments and the housing market collapsed. And the crazy part was a lot of these very large companies, Goldman Sachs and other investment banks, plus corporations like General Motors, they were in financial trouble. So what the U.S. government did was they just printed a ton of money and just gave it to them. And President Obama at the time made a statement that many of us clearly remember, which was some businesses are too big to fail, but most businesses, you're kind of on your own. So the little guy was left struggling. Homeowners lost their homes. Lots of small banks went under or were absorbed by larger banks. So in hindsight, the banking cartel knocked out their competition in 2008, and there was a consolidation. The large banks were propped up, given money, actually paid for their mistakes, and the little guys were taken out. Many people lost their jobs and their homes. It was a really difficult time for a lot of sort of hardworking average 
Americans in this case. Are you talking about now or or or, or ago? Because it's not clear to me. Wink, wink. <laughs> this was in 2009. And this was when Bitcoin was born. It was created as a response to that catastrophe of printing money and giving it to the banks. Because what happens is, is when you inflate the money supply, when you just literally print more of it, everyone's dollar becomes worth less. So if you are somebody who is, has an, a salary at your job, or if you're older and you're on kind of a fixed income, like retirement income, you can't buy as much stuff as you could buy before the inflation. So it becomes a tax on average, hardworking, middle-class and lower-class people. Now, the wealthy people who own a lot of assets, they don't really stress about inflation because all their stuff just becomes worth more. And so they kind of grow with it. And if you're a business owner and you get paid a percentage of profits and you start to charge more, inflation isn't necessarily that big of a deal. But Bitcoin was created to be an anti-inflationary money supply. You cannot ever print more than 21 million Bitcoins. There is a, a contract, an agreement, kind of like a, a plan that says there is a limited amount of supply of Bitcoin that will ever be mined. So the idea was you can't have a central banking entity like the Federal Reserve System or the IMF that literally just prints money whenever they want, growing their own sort of wealth at the expense of kind of the middle class and lower class people. So I love the idea of what Bitcoin represents. It's kind of a money for the people that is very transparent. For people that haven't heard the term blockchain, that's literally just like a database, like a ledger that is available for anyone to look at. So there's no secret hidden deals going on with Bitcoin. It's all put out for the public to see. So we don't have to, we don't have to trust anyone. It's, it's called a trustless system that where when we work with large banks, we kind of have to trust that they're, they're doing things that they say they're doing and they're doing them for the right reasons. And with Bitcoin, we don't have to trust anyone because that's sort of how it was created. I'm going to challenge you on this podcast because I have been delving a lot into, I think it's naive to think that there's something to escape the financial system and the banks. I think big whales, big uh, banks can still influence the, the cryptocurrency market. And maybe, but that's just a balloon because there's a lot of mystery about the origins and the creator of the Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Maybe it's just a sneaky way to introduce the digital cryptocurrency system that will be linked with a social credit score to monitor everything. And we think it's a way of escape, but it's actually leading us to the next way of enslavement that is able to track and trace even more elements of our life. What is your opinion about this idea? That is not something I've ruled out. So the, car the banking cartel has a long history of playing both sides in conflict so mm -hmm. that they literally can control everything by creating two teams, controlling both teams, and pushing both teams to the same goal. So one of the, the books that really influenced me around money and central banking was The Creature from Jekyll Island. And that book makes it very clear that the banking cartel has a long history of playing both sides. So it is very possible that Bitcoin is, we could call controlled opposition, that it's really one of their plays. I don't want to believe that. So partly I'm still optimistic that we do have a way out because if we don't, then what's, I'm not sure what well, the Well, that's the thing is. that I'm, 
I'm, I'm hesitant towards. I'm also have like cryptocurrency and I would advise it for people besides like gold and silver and, and other assets and like physical skills and survival skills. But for the banking system to provide a loophole that can make them like a gazillion dollars and to just have that as a way of freedom, I think when you look at the history of money, power influence and powers, I think it's a bit naive to think that they won't be able to meddle with it. I mean, you just saw a tweet from Elon Musk. I have my opinion about Elon Musk, but some people will not agree about it. But he can just tweet something and it makes the stuff, you know, go down. So these big whales, big corporations, big companies, big banks, they can even influence it and say, like, Psst, I'm going to make a tweet uh, tomorrow. It's going to go down by it. Like they could, they, they could have these agreements or work together and they can, even though it's decentralized, they can still influence the market. It's true. And I think all markets are unfortunately very influenced by emotions and pop culture and celebrity. I mean, the same thing happens in the stock market. You have some dramatic thing with someone and the price of a stock will change as re in response to that. So let's just even say there, that the Bitcoin story is true and Satoshi Mokomoto was a good guy who you know, is trying to protect the people. That doesn't mean that his, the market couldn't still be affected by normal human fear and greed, which... It is. I mean, that's why people buy and sell. They're worried. They're excited. They think they're going to make more money. So I don't know if looking at fluctuations in the market by someone like Elon Musk is an indicator that the origins aren't genuine. It is a bizarre thing. This like mm -hmm. anonymous guy comes and creates yeah. this currency and then he disappears. Like, so I have a theory that I happen to think has some likelihood. It's kind of crazy. You want me to tell you my crazy theory? Absolutely. Tell your crazy theory. Yeah. By the way, the definition of crazy the last two years has totally changed. So, yeah. <laughs> so, I think it is possible that at some point, mankind will develop time travel. That means that at any point in the future, if anybody or any entity or whatever creates time travel, it is likely that there are people in our current situation who have traveled from a different time. There's a bunch of people who think that there are Trumps, whether it's Baron Trump, the son or Donald Trump, who have time traveled. There's a book from the 1800s about Baron Trump's time travel. Elon Musk is kind of tied into this because he named his company Tesla. And many have thought that Nikolai Tesla possibly invented time travel things. And John Trump, Donald Trump's uncle, owns somehow a lot of Nikolai Tesla's work. So there's this like connection between Trump, Elon Musk, Tesla, and time travel. Yeah, this is the thing that I noticed. Like, I'm not so naive anymore that things like on a very big level happen by coincidence. There's a lot of things that were installed or need to be there. Who invented the internet? DARPA, the military arm of America. You can look this up. Then, you know, how important was social media and everything that's going on the last two years and then hijacking people their perception and freedom of speech. Then you see when you read the biography of Elon Musk, there's a lot of weird points that he should have been like bankrupt. But at the last moment, suddenly people buy it. And that's often happens with these big companies. They keep on sponsoring all the home deliveries, the Ubers, until they become so big that they can't fail anymore. And because you have so much sponsorship from certain finances, all the little guys, the small businesses, they get like cut out. So I don't want to be overly paranoid, but also don't want to be overly naive that certain things 
Tesla, you know, maybe even cryptocurrency, the internet, social media, it served kind of a way to hijack perception, just as the sustainable development goals, when you read them, it's basically like, we want to make poverty go away. No, you want to take control of the uh, money supply. We want to uh, stop overfishing. No, you want to take control of the fish supply. We want to, you know, have a greener planet. No, you want to tax the CO2 budget. So it's just taking control of all the supplies, communication supply, fish supply, food supply, you know, even like educating the nuclear family. So I still want to see hope in ways to create parallel communities. I just read something about Web3, an alternative kind of internet to be created. Don't know what will happen with that. So still have hope in some things, but I became a lot more realistic when there's so much big things at stake, especially with technology becoming increasingly a more important part of our life. And then the big players or big technologies playing a role in it. One thing that the Creature from Jekyll Island book talked about, have you read that book? Are you familiar with it? No, I, I've watched videos about uh, the, the origins of the financial system and how it works. And uh, it's a bit of a thriller and a horror movie. <laughs> it's a giant book. It's big. It's the origin of the Federal Reserve System in the U.S. and goes into the whole history of central banking and how central banking is really just an evil entity for the people like us. And unless you are part of this banking cartel, like central banking is not designed to make you succeed. And they talk a bit about how Hollywood and entertainment are used to intentionally plant ideas for us so that when they happen, they don't seem so crazy. Like it's sort of like predictive programming, they call it. And it's interesting back to this sort of time travel, Satoshi Nokomoto thing. We've been given a bunch of movies that outlay this idea, like the Terminator movies. Have you seen the Terminator movies? I mean, I watched all the dystopian classic movies again, you know, from Blade Runner to Matrix to uh, Terminator to uh, the guy in the glasses that he turns it on. And then he sees like the real messages like obey, you know, you know, that movie. I don't know if I know what, what you mean for that movie. That's like, you know, the guy he suddenly finds glasses and then he sees the, re the nature of reality. So he starts looking at the TV and, and, and then he sees like obey, you know, consume. And he really sees the underlying messages when he put on the glasses. I think it's by John Carpenter. Okay. I'm going to look that up. I also like to watch every single dystopian or pandemic or zombie movie, actually. So... It's so the character from the Terminator movies is this guy named John Connor, right? And he is sort of the leader of this resistance. And there's a whole bunch of movies about him. And he lives in the future and sends people, Terminators, back in time to help change the future. So one of my theory, I'm not like sold on it, but I think it's a possibility, is that Satoshi Nakamoto is basically like a John Connor type who has come back from the future to try to save us from the banking cartel, taking total control, great reset, new world order, whatever label you want to put on it. And so he's a good guy who's kind of come back, but he had to disappear because maybe he went back to his time. He only kind of came here for a little while. And that would explain why he's disappeared with no trace. And he never really had an identity here because he doesn't, he's never lived in our time because he time traveled here. So I have no no way to prove this. <laughs> it is merely a theory. It actually isn't my own. I think I've stumbled across it in some chat room somewhere. But I do think that it has possibility because to say that humans would never invent time travel, I think is a limiting belief. It's very likely that at some point we will invent that. So it doesn't matter if they invented in 500 years, they could still send people back to now. 
as long as that technology invented at any point. Yeah, and I'm also realistic because we see us moving towards transhumanism, the metaverse technology. So if we can fight it, we can go, go try to go completely Amish. But in a way, we'll have to use technology to create our own communities or have our own way to be able to connect with people worldwide and give technology's proper place because going completely back in technology, I mean, I am kind of an advocate of more humanity and less technology, a proper technology instead of less humanity and more technology because I think we're losing the essence of what it means to be a, a human and be a free soul. So I have mixed feelings about technology. I think some things are just incredible. Like the fact that we are thousands of miles on, in different continents and talking to each other in real time is amazing. The ability to have human-to-human conversations around the world, like I don't even know how this works. Like my words go through this little a series of cords through a satellite and they're beamed to you instantly. Like that's freaking cool that we have developed as humans the ability to do that kind of stuff. So I would hate for those cool things to go away because I think they've allowed people to travel and see and connect with people that it just would be impractical for me to like, are are you in Belgium? Is that where I saw you are? I moved to Budapest, but I totally get what you mean. Uh, For me, it's about- For me to just hop over to Hungary to meet with you for an hour, like, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to do that. Well, for me, it's about integration in a way that we use the useful parts, but we get rid of some negative parts, overwhelming parts, anxious parts, or controlling parts, you know? So I like, I build my business online. I help people online, build up their online assets. I mean, most of the people who ask, would you be on Facebook if you need it for your business or you really needed it? Most people, you know, who are a while on Facebook say like, no, it's not as fun anymore. It's so totalitarian, so much censorship. I met awesome people and I still cultivate my own network, but the enthusiasm, you know, the good discussions, you know, the freedom, the creativity also on YouTube, it's completely different than four or five years ago. And that's to me what Web3 is about. Web3 is a decentralization of the internet. The reality is Web2, which is where we are now, is dominated by a few very large companies. And it's incredible the power they have over the conversations we have. I mean, you can't talk about certain things on Twitter, on Facebook, or on YouTube. Like, you are banned. Now, you could say, well, you don't have to be on them or go find somewhere else. But the reality is right now, the majority of people are on those platforms. And so if you want to call it censorship or not, the conversations are being limited, which sucks for people who want to talk about things that you can't talk about there. So Web3 takes away that centralization and allows people to have whatever kind of conversation they want, because there is no police telling you what you can and can't talk about, which I think scares the people that want to control us. They don't want us talking about things that would threaten their power. Well, I made a presentation about this like a a year and a half ago, and I tried to simplify things. So if you want to have mind control, it's easy. You need two things. You need control of perception and control of behavior. So how do you control perception? by determining what people are allowed to see. And when you have this this narrow bandwidth of acceptable opinion of discourse, what they see, now it's it's in front of our eyes, with virtual reality, it will be in before our eyes or in the metaverse. You can basically track and trace everything what people see. And it's not that reality becomes perception, perception becomes reality. So when you can hijack perception, you can steer the narrative in a way that gives those people who control it more power, money, and influence. If you wonder if people will go to that length to get more power, money, and influence, uh, I would say pick up a history book, any page, 
it's full of it, like to act like that's not there. And how do they steal behavior? You track and trace. Every element that you can track and trace is being sent to something that, you know, social credit score or however you call it. And when you have that predictive power control and control people, their perception, and you give it away, you give them basically all the tools to monitor every action, feeling, thought, movement that you do. And you're basically on probation with all those freedoms being okay, but limited if you step outside of the narrative that is defined okay. Why often those big corporations, big institutions, because they're much bigger than countries right now. That's also why they attack nationalism. People act like, oh, we're going to vote for this president. It will change things. If you look at the power that they have, this is also the, the issue that I have with libertarians. Yeah, the free market. Yeah, the free market, but those companies, they dominate the public opinion discourse and even elections. So how can you say that it's just a company and people have free will to be on it? I think those companies are on such a scale, power and influence and steer the future of humanity. There should be limits about it or boundaries about it. I guess I, I just have chosen to believe that this is almost turned into a war versus good and evil mm-hmm. and that yeah. the good guys, they got to win in the end. Because I, If I don't have yeah. that hope, yeah. then I'm just going to get depressed and be like, what's the, what's the yeah. point of trying if, if we can't win? Now, back to your original question around, is crypto possibly one of their strategies? That's one of the, the lenses that I do look at when we we see who's getting into crypto now. The investment banks are starting to put their money in there. Mm-hmm. If I were the bad guy and I was trying to use crypto for a bad reason, like what would I do to see if like if that's the strategy that they're pulling? If a lot of these central banks issue their own CBDCs, their own central bank digital currencies, that will tell me that that they weren't wanting us to use Bitcoin. And China is now going to di- issue their own central bank digital currency. And we'll see if the European central bank does or the Federal Reserve in the US. Because I think if they have competing currencies that they want us to use, then how does Bitcoin fit, fit into that if that was their, their strategy to get us to use Bitcoin? I'm not sure. I mean, this is all uncharted waters, right? Like the whole idea of even cryptocurrency. I mean, I know it's 12 years old, but. For many of us, we didn't really give much time to it until recently. I also, usually if there's some kind of like dramatic fear being told to me about something from the media, that gets me to pay attention because I want to know, why do you not want me to pay attention to this? What is it that you're, what opinion are you trying to control? I mean, COVID was all about fear, right? We want you to be scared to go to small businesses. We want you to be scared to go to church. We want you to be scared to engage with other people, just stay home on your controlled internet device and have these conversations that are curated on social media. Right now, the central banks are talking against crypto. I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton. I actually think she should be in prison. You mean Hillary Kiltons? (laughs) Yes. She has recently gone out public saying that Bitcoin threatens the stability of the U.S. dollar. I think she works for the central banks. She's one of their employees. And if she is telling people to be scared of crypto, that means that I'm going to be in the other camp <laughs> because I don't support anything that, that she supports. You know, one thing that I'm scared Even about, I- what, what could happen is like, what if there's a cyber attack and the internet and the electricity is completely cut off? Can you still rescue your 
cryptocurrencies. If the grid goes away, we're more screwed than been. Bitcoin is the least of my problems if mm -hmm. we no longer have electricity system. I mean, I don't have a ton of US dollar cash in my house. It's all in banks and investments. So forget about crypto. Like I can't access any of my regular money. Crypto's the last thing I'm gonna be stressing about. We can't buy things at stores, the supply chain. Like how are we gonna get food if there's no more grid? That's the walking dead. Like that, that whole TV show, and if you watched it, is really about what happens if society collapses and we have no more grid and no more anything structure. Then you have da -da -da -da, the universal basic income that is going to give people the freedom to go for what they want. Translation, you get a pity fee to just survive as long as you're a good slave who fulfills all the obligations that we have. And if you're not following the narrative of our totalitarian system, eh, you don't get your universal basic income. So that was a post that I put out the other day that I think sparked our conversation today is people think that giving universal basic income is like generous of the government to do that. But it's naive <laughs> to think there aren't going to be conditions. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give you this money unless you agree to some rules. And I think a lot of people will think, well, the government cares about me. They're not going to give me drastic rules. Well, one of the agendas of this banking cartel is depopulation. What if the rule is you only get your money if you sterilize your children. You only get your money if you have if you give up some of your children. You have too many. You only get your money if you leave your rural home and go and live in one of our little city apartment things because you're using too much carbon or you're creating too much carbon. You're using too much energy. You need to live in some energy efficient, tiny one room apartment in some city. I mean, there's a whole lot of rules that could come with universal. It's smart income. cities, Molly. It's wink, wink, smart cities. <laughs> I live in a rural area and I grew up in a rural area. And I'm pretty passionate about defending the right of people to live wherever they want, including rural areas. People are right now so unaware of history. They don't understand the gravity of what's going on. The freedom to speak, the freedom to move, the freedom to assemble, the freedom of your body, the freedom to breathe. Are you freaking insane not seeing like how far these rights have been infringed? Oh, but I still have my internet and I can browse on my Wi-Fi, so everything is fine. I mean, this, this is often that when you read history, maybe you also did the same thing. You read so many struggles and people have fought so hard for these declarations, treaties, these basic rights, and now they're being trampled on like they're just toilet paper. Now, you live in Eastern Europe, which has a very dark, sad history yeah. with communism oppressing people only a couple of generations ago, if even. 30 Do years. the people in Budapest, are they scared of like a new Nazi regime taking control of their life? Well. The fall of the Berlin Wall is only 30 years ago, a little bit more than 30 years ago. It's 89. So the restrictions are a bit less. The, the revolution will not come from Western Europe where they just ask, uh, can we have more grass, please? Which is just insane to look at all these havens of land of the free and the brave. Oh, you mean land of the slave and the, you know, brainwashed. But media is powerful. If you control the narrative, you control the world. Just as what Archimedes said, give me a lever big enough and I can move the world. Well, that lever is controlling perception and that controlling perception is through technology and social media. So people have more experience here with communism, even though that I think 
we live in a kind of fascism combined with communism here. It's not so far from each other what's going on. People always think in these left-right kind of extremes. But people are still not understanding the dire situation that we're in. And we're just basically back, back to a neo-feudalistic system <laughs> like from the Middle Ages. And that's actually what happened after the fall of Rome, which is something I've just recently kind of looked into is Rome had this glorious time where it was successful, prosperous, whatever adjective you want to use, things were good and bad things happened eventually that led to the fall of Rome. And my recent thing I was looking into is what happened after Rome fell and they went back into a feudalistic type societal structure where you had, you know, the Lord of the manor and he had all these serfs, slaves, whatever you want to call them, who kind of reported into him and he gave them a minimal amount of money to survive. Yeah. I think people lived in very tough circumstances, unless you were the king of the manor, king of the hill, whatever you want to call him. Is that your interpretation of what neo-feudalism would mean, that there's a few people who control power and everybody else kind of answers to them? People mistake that we live in a capitalistic society. And that it's just capitalistic, but in a way it kind of works in a communistic way that those on top make a lot of money and they try to present it through good ideals, equality, and we want to protect people from racism, but that's under the guise to get more and more power and more and more control. So the same people who are right now, you know, saying like they're capitalistic, you know, on Facebook ads, they have a very culture Marxist and communist kind of ideology. And those people, they're not doing it to virtue signal and be good, right? Just look at all these people. Just look at Biden. Just look at Boris Johnson. Just look in their eyes. Just look at Chris Whitty. And they're, they're like dead. They're like dead people. They have like no soul. You can just look at their body. These people have no soul, no heart. You can just look at them. This is a good video I saw from someone in Belgium. Forget the numbers. Forget the statistics. Just watch. See what you feel. See what your intuition tells you. These kids playing on a playground in open air with masks on. What do you feel? What, what is going on inside you when, you when when you move? Like if you really tune in with your common sense, with your brain, with your heart, with your intuition, what do you feel intuitively? You will feel something. You will notice that something is off. If it would be a pandemic, you would have stories like, oh, my God, my uncle, and he died. Oh, my God, do you see that guy dying there in the bushes or another one? This is not a black plague. And people are so lost either with their heart, with their values, with their tradition, with their culture. People have become so self-loathing of themselves, so lost that they fall for this and they have nothing to stand for anymore. And people who have nothing to stand for anymore, they're the easiest to control because they look at something to grasp on, something to tell them what to do, something that gives them structure. Else, any person without any decent inkling of respect would never tolerate this. Where has people their self-respect gone for themselves, for their children, for their partner, for their family, for their country? I think fear is powerful. When you really scare someone enough, you can really control them pretty easily. But Molly, what what's going on right now? I mean, I, I still, I'm still opening my heart to empathy. But if you don't see now, after almost two years, you've been promised something, you're lied to. You take something that has no effect. They ask you to do it again, which is the same thing that you took before. 
The numbers went up, even though you did what you wanted to do. They didn't give you as reward what you wanted to do. It's only becoming worse. How much more of evidence do you have that it's not working and it's not living up to the promises that they make and they keep on breaking promises? I, I mean, I get brainwashing. I get fear and stuff, but this is something like th there's got to be stuff popping up into your reality. Like, whoa, something's off here or, or they're lying. Th this, this really amazes me. These maybe 30% people who just do whatever they're told, question nothing, and you can't change their mind anymore. Here's the problem, though. If I can get you to take two vaccines, and now you start to question when I ask you for the third one that maybe it wasn't a great decision, that means you're going to have to admit you made this bad decision with the first two. So I think people are reluctant to put themselves in a position where they feel like they made a bad decision. So once I got you to take, we're much more likely to get you to take 10 because you don't want to have to admit you made a bad decision. So let's just take a bad decision for humanity then, because I don't want to own up my own bad decision. Thank you, Mary. Good choice. I don't agree with it. I just think that that's, I know people in real life who they're getting their third shot because they, they want to believe that the government and the CDC and whoever wants to protect them and keep them safe. I mean, I even know doctors. Yeah. I have a friend, her husband's a doctor, I've had several conversations with him. He's a bright guy. I mean, he firmly believes that like COVID was this very scary thing. He had patients who died because they, but he told me they all had some other issue that it wasn't yeah. just COVID, but his family like literally wasn't allowed to go anywhere for months because he wanted to keep them safe. So I think the medical establishment has been taught in medical school to follow the pharmaceutical protocols and that drugs are the, the solution for everything. No doctor I know has really pushed being in a healthy weight, having exercise, eating well as the best way to prevent getting sick from COVID. It's all get this friggin' vaccine. I mean, Everybody should stay critical. Also, some things that I say or my guests say, you can doubt it and think for yourself. But what I notice with a lot of people who woken up or question things, I can sit down with a doctor for 40 minutes and I can debate him pretty well. I can debate the guy pretty well on a lot of aspects like PCR tests, the mass, the research, the infection. Like, and people are like, you can't say that because you're not a doctor. I am more informed about what's going on and did the research and can tackle the angles. I'm not so vast in my expertise, of course. I'm not going to question. But we ma vastly over-exaggerate people in authority with the expertise that they have and how much they actually do research or new developments or keep on training and learning about aspects. This is also something that I'll learn. Yeah. And one of the biggest propaganda statements of this past year that actually gets me kind of fired up and mad is this idea of trust science which if you are actually in science and I've worked in science fields and I'm a statistician, no scientist trusts science. The whole idea of science and research is to prove the other guy's wrong and to have a hypothesis that challenges what is accepted to, to innovate. That's what progress is in, in medicine and science is saying, all right, this is what we believe to be true. I'm going to disprove it. I'm going to go and come up with a different hypothesis, test that. And if my data supports my new hypothesis, we throw out the old one and replace it with a new one. 
no scientists trust science. Like that's the whole idea. So when you have these politicians and celebrities wearing t-shirts saying trust science, what they're just telling us is don't you ask questions because if you ask questions, you'll start to see the holes in the story that we put together for you. And it's just better for us if you don't question our authority what everybody man my my audience they kind of know my perspective and if they follow me like else they would be annoyed and just stop following me for any person who thinks if this would be so deadly as they think what kind of a narcissistic psychopath do you think i am it's like ha, 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 people are dying but i love to kill elders and kill other people so ha, 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 i value freedom so much so i don't give a fuck i'm gonna live my life even though people are if this was so serious do you really think you would have to convince so many people to do this? Do you know how much people are sacrificing to say no with all the bullying, you know, the hostage taking, the infringements on their right? Like, do, do you really think you need this big marketing campaign if it truly was, you know, that deadly and had so much effects? Like, I'm not such a psychopath that if if it truly would be the Black Plague, one out of three people would be dying and they would have something that works, effectively works. Look at the numbers, which we see right now after the year and a half, it does zero. I would consider it, even though it's not tested, because a lot of people would be dying. I still would have like freedom of life and freedom of choice and long-term consequences. But the severity of the question and the impact in my real life and the multiple lived experience I heard from would also make me reconsider. But right now, it's just ludicrous. The thing that I always asked from day one with COVID was why they always wanted to push a vaccine from day one. There was never a serious effort to find a treatment because if you took away the ability of COVID to kill anybody because you had a great treatment, it wouldn't be a big deal, right? If you had some kind of medicine that if you got COVID and you were sick and you just took the medicine and you were fine, that's to me the best solution. We should test the vaccine. Oh, what about this? high CQ or ivermectin. No, we're not going to test that because it doesn't work. Like, shall we not try both and see what works best? No, only this. <laughs> okay. And no one really wanted to have a serious conversation about why treatment wasn't considered preferable to vaccine. So that was my first flag that I was like, something is wrong here. If all of the treatment options are being discredited as dangerous and ineffective and insane while all this hope is going into the vaccine. Why do you want everyone to take this vaccine? And it's gotten to the point now where the president Biden has said, like, every we want every single person in this country to have this vaccine. Everybody who so listens to this podcast, they should listen to the Yet van den Bosche interview on the Dark Horse podcast. Probably I will not be able to put this interview on YouTube because, you know, some things they don't like to be discussed and I put it on Rumble then. It's actually counterproductive. Because you bypass the immune system, the innate immune system, you make people more prone. You always run behind the facts six months later so they can adapt. So when you train in barracks, your army, you know, they can become strong. Now you're training in symbiosis with new variants who become stronger and they adapt. So you're always running behind the facts. You skip your in the moment immune system and response. So you actually make the population weaker. You make the spread more heavily. And you create more variants that will devastate more. So it's actually completely, not also non-effective, counterproductive and actually contributing to it. Plus, which you get from the most is actually super interesting. 
you already made the immune system, it kind of builds up on being, you know, exposed to a lot of different flus. So when you get them young, you kind of reduce that resilience and that immunity because you just take it away by already having the antibodies in them, but not having that complete immune system response because you right now are the results of being exposed to so many virus, bacteria when you're young and you become stronger and you become more immune. But the, the younger you do this, you take away that fortress, that wall, that protection that you have from a young age. I mean, the human body is amazing in its ability to fight off disease. So the idea that we're going to inject something into you that's going to mess with that and tell you there's no possible way it's going to have unintended consequences, I think is really naive. Well, let's even just say, I don't think it is effective against COVID, but let's just say for argument's sake, it is. How do you know it's not going to make it impossible for you to fight off some other ailment that your body would have been able to fight off if you hadn't taken this shot? And the fact that that discussion isn't even allowed to happen, you're not even allowed to say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with injecting this thing into me because I don't know what the unintended consequences are. You're told that's selfish and misinformation to even bring that concern up. When you die and there's one inkling of evidence or suggestion of COVID that they do it, they do it. When you have side effects or negative effects or you die because of the vaccine, you have to self-report it. So you see this two-track thing all the time. Like one thing has to get attention and, and full focus and infections go up and that stuff and the other stuff get no attention, right? So you have that, um, what's that database with self-reporting that some people say only 1% VAERS. is, yeah, VAERS is only... 1% being reported. So when you look at this, I had a guest on my podcast said like 30,000 people were reported a month and a half ago, but it's probably 1%. Is that, that's probably even like between 300,000 and 3 million people already. That was like a month and a half, two months ago. The other bizarre thing is we've now introduced this idea that I can only go into a business, like say a restaurant, if I show you my credentials, I show you that I've complied. And that to me is a very dangerous thing is we're now going to have, it's going to become normal for me to have to show you my compliance to some rule to live my life, to go to school, to go to a restaurant, to go to the gym, whatever. That to me is crazy dangerous because once that's introduced, this is one thing the cartel does. When they put in one of their rules, they never take it away. There is no going, there's no end period. One of the consequences of 9-11 was we have to go through this crazy security screening to get onto an airplane. That hasn't gone away. One weird guy had this Gatorade bottle with a bomb in it. So now no one can bring a liquid through security ever again. Like they don't give us back these freedoms that they take away in our, for our protection. This is such a great point that you made, make, and I explained it to a girl only two years ago what's going to happen, but she didn't understand it. I said, like, listen, this is a Trojan horse to track and trace your entire behavior and that everything is monitored, monitored and you're basically on probation. First, it will be maybe on a paper. Then it will be on your phone. You have to carry this distraction device, tracking device all the time. Then it maybe will be a microchip or virtual reality. And then it will be, you know, in front of your eyes, the metaverse, you know, everything is tracked and traced. And why is this battle so important? To get it installed is the most important thing. Because what do you hear from people? Maybe you will hear it. When I say we're being tracked and traced, we should stop this. What do people say? Oh, they already do this. 
Yes, is that an argument to even make it worse or so bad should crazy? Yeah, they already do it. And that's it. Get your foot in the door and then you get the room, get the house, get the whole community, get, get the whole world. And that is what is entry towards giving your rights, giving your privacy away is so important because this thing, this passport, this will assemble more and more credits, what you do, certain things, and you will be tracked and traced and you will be treated like this is why they're transhumanist. You are an app to them. You're not a human. You're an app and you have to be updated to be functional. What has a barcode, a product in a supermarket? And this is why this technology and this passport is so important because then they can introduce managing everything that you do. And when technology is taking it over instead of policemen, in the past, you could riot and there's only so much policemen. But when the door is locked without the, without, you know, the code, you don't need policemen. You just don't get in and get, get to the next step of getting your groceries, you know? Yeah. And that's why I think the concern about CBDC, central bank digital currency is a legitimate one is that if all of my money is issued by a central bank through my app and I'm a bad girl, I speak out about something I'm not supposed to talk about. They just turn my money off and I can't buy food. I can't buy gas. Like I can't do anything. I would not want any money supply where someone could turn it off. This is why I do have some hope for Bitcoin is that there is no one person who could take away my Bitcoin. This is also the thing that they can just shut you down when you want to, you know, like if you have your CO2 budget, you eat too much meat, you travel too much, you have to pay like a huge tax or extra money or else like you can't travel anymore because you reach your limit. When you have electric cars, maybe you log in, you pay cashless because cash can spread the virus and then you have your limit and it tracks how much you travel. And if you reach your limit, like, whoa, you have to pay a lot of taxes because you're too polluting. And this sounds like a conspiracy theory. I, if I would put my money on this, I'm 100%. I'm 100% is going to be there. A meat tax, CO2 budget, and these kind of things. They've, they've been pushing this narrative, the CO2, the climate change agenda. They've been pushing it for years. I already showed videos of what's happening in China, how much surveillance cameras they have there, how they use biometrics to pay with a MasterCard. Often they try out stuff in Africa. They're already doing this. These police dogs in Australia, you know, seeing how close people are and tracking it and then, you know, like following them. I don't want to be too disutopian, but I do want to say like movements that are happening right now, which sounds super crazy when I talked about it five years ago, but <laughs> that rings a bit of terminator two bells you know yeah i agree i think the fact that people are getting microchips implanted into themselves in just in sweden yeah is crazy i'm still kind of curious about scandinavia they seem to have escaped some of the covid restrictions but then they turn around and start injecting trackers into themselves like i don't know what to make about scandinavia to be totally honest I know they're not part of the euro, so the central banks have a little less control over them. Kind of interesting to see how that part of the world will play out with some of this stuff. People worship, and I became more religious during this whole crisis because you truly see evil on a level that I, I wouldn't tell the manageable before that you can do this. People are just confusing convenience and comfort with freedom. And it's totally something different, freedom. 
And fulfillment is also something completely different than comfort and convenience. Oh, it's super handy that I can open my doors with this and, you know, and it can ring an ambulance if I get a heart attack. That's how they sell it, right? Like prevent the heart attack by having that chip. Like it's all the good stuff, right? They never talk about the, the, the bad stuff. But people don't know what door they're opening, what, what Pandora's box that they're opening. And it's, we have maybe still that awareness and take a stance, but I'm thinking like, what the hell of these children? When, when, when you look at the difference of me with the social media usage compared with my parents, let alone me with these young children on Instagram, making videos and on TikTok, I'm wondering what will happen to the next generation. What is, what is your perspective about all the stuff that's going on right now and the metaverse coming and all the measures? I'm personally very gloomy in the short term, but in the long term, I'm a bit hopeful because I think there will be more people like me. And this has awoken a lot of people about what's going on. This is also the hope that I still have. I think we've seen a great awakening in the last year. I was kind of part of that. Like I was pretty blue-pilled up until I read Creature from Jekyll Island, which was only in 2019. And I read that book because I was coaching people. And I had some money issues charging a lot for my services. So someone said, read this book, because when you understand how money works, you won't give so much emotional weight to it. Like you'll realize it's kind of a scam. And then I had a couple of businesses and COVID came. And in my small little rural town, the town was split. The businesses that were deemed essential were allowed to stay open. And the businesses that were considered non-essential had to close. And I even had a discussion with our Chamber of Commerce president. I'm like, that's very subjective. How do you decide what's essential and what's not? Mm -hmm. She was like, you're right. It is totally subjective. And I was like, wait a minute. We now It started this war against small businesses. So as a business coach and as the, the daughter of small business owners, that's like really one of my biggest passion things I'd fight for is people's right to own and operate their own small business. And that to me is what this war the last year has been about. It's knocking out the small business owners. They can't compete if the government makes it illegal for them to operate. And so I do love capitalism in its purest form. What I don't love is when corporations get government on their side to put in rules that give them an advantage. Pure capitalism, when it's allowed to exist with a free market where supply and demand and the consumers have power, I think can be a beautiful thing. You see this in small communities. Like if you had a little tiny off-grid town where the farmer traded with the clothes maker who traded with the baker or whatever, that to me is pure capitalism where we trade and exchange without corporations giving favoritism to certain things. Corporatism, I think, is what a lot of people mistake with capitalism where you have these giant corporations getting subsidies from the government and they're getting preferential treatment and tax loopholes that allow them to not have to pay taxes while the rest of us have to pay everything. It's just such a big entity that to take down these sort of central banks who control the government, control the media, control policy, that's a big undertaking. But there's more of us than there are of them. So the Great Awakening, if we continue to have people wake up, I just, I got to believe that the good guys are going to win in the end. Otherwise, I have no hope. Yeah, you can follow Catherine Austin Fitz, who was also advisor of uh, George Bush, that talks a lot about the central banking system. 
and that basically the central banking system or the financial system, it's bankrupt. It's bust. It's like blowing up a balloon. You can also look at videos from uh, not just a super fan of him, like uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, the guy. I don't know what his Rich name is. Talk. Yeah, uh, pff, like blowing up a balloon, people pff, 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 inflating it. 30% of the money ever printed in the US has been printed, I think, the last year. It's insane. Like, this is this is beyond insanity to think that this is sustainable. When you look at how much debt is created, but this is the this is the financial system, and maybe you can explain it better than me. The banks actually make the money out of debt. <laughs> That's the whole way how they make money. money. Yeah. Actually, it says it on the U.S. I don't have any dollars on me right now, but it says it on the U.S. dollar that it's, it's debt. And that's the other thing that makes me kind of mad. Is like they don't teach us in school yeah. how money works. Also, you have fractional reserve. So basically, they make the most money out of lending money to you because you can lend me $100 and you only have to keep like, I don't know if it's like 1% or 3%, $3 in cash and you can speculate with $97. So I'm lending money from you is making you the most money and giving you a lot of money to play with that I could never do. The creature from Jekyll Island covers this. It used to be 10%. I had to have $10 in reserves to loan out a hundred. But during COVID, I don't know if anybody knows that. Like I, I saw this one random article just kind of came across my desk that they removed it. And now in the US, they have zero. You don't have to have any reserves to issue a bond to take out the loan against the bond. So they literally, that's why in the last year, they blew it up because they have, there is no fraction in the fractional reserve they can print infinite amounts that's why it's going to have to collapse there's just no way they can keep going at that rate the dollar will become worthless but then that's partly is that the goal this is a lot of hypotheses and i'm never going to make it a fixed stations but they, 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 they wanted you know they did was Bretton woods no like that they abolished the gold standards and now the dollar is uh, the coin but they want to replace it by a world currency we are ready for a world government. Kissinger said, and all these other gremlins already said like before. So maybe they say like, yeah, because there's a lot of world problems. Maybe we need a world government for world issues with a world cu currency. Yeah, that I and I don't know yet what that one world currency will be. Whether it will be a currency that exists already, or whether they will create a new central bank one. I mean, that's the thing too, is there's many central banks. There isn't just one. Now, whether there's one entity that controls all of those central banks, these sort of rich banking families, I'm not exactly sure. Removing the US dollar from the gold standard was a big deal because now they can literally print as much money as they want. I don't know if, now some people had these cool theories. I don't know if you've heard of Nasara and Jasara. They were kind of big financial conspiracy theories last year where the idea I, nothing came of it that i see the idea was that trump was recruited to be president to put the us back on the gold standard through these nasara and jasara ideas people got a lot of hope and excitement nothing seems to have happened from that because unfortunately anybody who relies on the value of the us dollar for their like savings it will potentially become worthless. And that's why a lot of people like myself have hope in Bitcoin is you can't just do what they're doing with the US dollar. You can't just print more of it, do paper stuff. Let's talk a bit about the metaverse. 
it's clearly going to be like you know i have like you have two sides right like social media is already making people in general if they don't use it constructively which is most of them even i use it too much anxious depressed lonely than ever you see researches about people who have way less friends than before and they have so much connections online on the other hand we're both not dummies and we know that direction is going in the metaverse with people living more their life online replacing human connection by digital connection so you also want to play on the market trends that are going to be there and going to make you the most money for hopefully people like us with integrity who want to make an impact and have good values, right? I think it's unescapable. This is why I also think that I, I can't agree with Alex Becker. I believe in Bitcoin, but I believe I mean, you can challenge me when it comes down to this. You know a lot more than this. I think you want to invest in gaming coins like uh, Polygon and Avalanche and... Uh, you know, Polkadot and these kind of coins, because I think these coins, these currency coins to pay in the metaverse or a link to the metaverse, I think they will, it's all a question mark, but I think they will blow up with the direction as we see things are going even more, maybe as a security Bitcoin, maybe as a stable, but I think it is like blowing up and still like having massive potential the coming time and years. I think these gaming coins have a lot of the right ones, right? Potential. What's your opinion about it? The strategy that I use for crypto investing is I invest in altcoins, gaming coins, whatever, to get returns. And then I use that to buy Bitcoin. So I do think that you can make a lot more profit, money, whatever you want to call it, in some of those things like gaming coins. And then you move that over to a currency that has long-term value like Bitcoin. My concern about going all in on gaming stuff is that gaming... No game that was popular 20 years ago is still popular today. Games come and go. So if you're going to go all in on one game, it might work well now, make some money. But if you kept your wealth in that game, eventually it will probably become less cool and people move on to a different game. The other thing about the internet is that there's very few players who kind of stick around the long term. So it's also competitive. There's a lot of new games being introduced with crypto and metaverse. We have no idea which ones will, will win. It's going to be exciting to watch. And I will personally invest in a bunch of them with the hope to get a return. But I'm not sure at all which one is going to be the winner to bet a big on one horse. Now, Alex Becker is in that industry. I don't know if he's objective because of that. He's obviously going to be an advocate for the projects that he supports. So I don't discredit him, but I'm going to not see him as an objective authority on crypto gaming because that's what he's evangelizing is crypto gaming. It's his, his area of expertise. He also has a very unique marketing tone that I don't would not personally use in my own stuff. I think he can be kind of a jerk in a lot of his posts that he puts out. It's his choice. He can do whatever he wants. I don't know if he's really helping educate people about the potential of these projects when he tells them that they're all idiots. They don't haven't done what he's done. Yeah, it's a bit this blunt personality, and there's a lot of opportunists about it. A lot of these young crypto guys have that same tone of like, I've been in crypto for like a year. I know everything. Yeah, this is something that annoys the crap out of me. And I would never call me a crypto expert because I stepped way too late in it. And even though my friends were like super early in it, but this kind of like 
I mean, I get the enthusiasm, but it's super hype, super enthusiasm, always be enthusiastic, always like it's going amazing and going amazing, but sometimes it's not going amazing, which is fine, you know, and then it will recover. But this false hope and enthusiasm and this hype all the time with crypto, you rarely have channels that give like a very based, realistic view of like crypto, at least according to my opinion, right? Yeah, I mean, there's things that I don't love about crypto and that there are shady people who have put shady projects out. They call them rugs. When somebody goes and raises a bunch of money for something and it turned out it was kind of a scam, like that sucks that that happens. And I think it it happens, I think, more than I would like. And sometimes I think that people are tempted to say, well, this is why we need regulation. This is why we need the government to come and protect us from bad scammers. And that's what I don't want to be the answer is the government to come in and now tell us what we can and can't do with crypto. Uh, so that's an unfortunate thing. I think the scammers out there are going to give government the ammunition they need to try to come in and meddle. I have the belief that typically when the government gets involved, it doesn't help people at what all. What did they decide now? They got together this week and decided something about crypto, right? Because there was a lot of nervous movement in crypto world about what the government would do. So with the U.S. Congress, they are concerned currently about what are called stable coins, which are cryptocurrencies that are tied to the U.S. dollar. And the irony was that they're mad because one of them, one of the original ones by Tether, they're saying it doesn't have enough backing. And I'm like, you serious, right? Like, how hypocritical is that that you, you are printing U.S. dollars that have zero backing and you're mad that Tether doesn't have enough backing? Like <laughs> hypocrisy, I think, is insane. And I think that's almost like an inside joke. They just they're assuming most people don't realize it or we're all just sort of laughing. This is the thing, which is why I either they're so good at playing both sides or crypto does have good guys in it, because when Congress starts to get really threatened by it, to me, that says they're they didn't create crypto like. You know, Satoshi Nakamoto was a good guy, a white hat who kind of came to help the people have a currency that we could depend on. Because the more people who are central banking advocates, the more that they speak out against Bitcoin, the more I'm on team Bitcoin. You can see that the trials and interrogations of Mark Zuckerberg, I mean, Zuckerberg, or I don't know, data from Star Trek, he's just lying or, or just basically admitting that he's like tracking and tracing and meddling and he doesn't have to bear the consequences at all. So I feel just buy enough senators, buy enough people in the house and you can do whatever you want. Like we live in a world right now where you're not held accountable anymore. Oh, it didn't work. Oh, it's this. Derp, derp, derp. Like who cares? Okay. I prescribed this medicine. They died. Ha ha. Guess I made a mistake. On to another news. Like this happened to Prince Harry. Like what? What? You just lied in front of a nation, stole so much money, killed so many people, told so many lives, ruined so many businesses, and you're not being held accountable? What? That's not new, unfortunately. So uh, while we're recording this, the Jelaine Maxwell trial is not quite wrapped up. And so I'm sure by the time this airs, we'll know what happened, which is probably nothing. But that's just another example of people not being held accountable because they're in positions of power. I happen to subscribe to the theory that nobody gets to be elected to a high level of politics without being chosen for that. 
like random people don't just become senators or presidents of countries or whatever, that you have to be a part of this crew, this group. And often, I mean, this is what the whole Jelaine Maxwell Epstein thing was about, was that they got dirt on you. Yeah. Little island. So that if you dared to step out of line, they would ruin you. And they had you do terrible, gross, evil, nasty things that are unimaginable to all of us. And that is an incredibly powerful form of blackmail. So that you have to vote how we tell you to vote. You have to implement policy we tell you to implement. And if you don't, you and your family are ruined forever. I also, not always the case, but I believe that uh, a lot of people that uh, we see in powerful positions, they are allowed to be there. If you look at a lot of histories of people, there are some exceptions, but if you look at the, the top CEOs of companies, I mean, I think the CEO of, of Reuters is also in the board of directors, so has a big stake in Pfizer. You know, you have ex-ministers and then they go work for, you know, the oil lobby or climate change lobby. Like you just follow, follow the money and follow their career, follow their path, follow their connections. And you just connect the dots. You can see the people who were world global leaders in the World Economic Forum or they're a member of the World Economic Forum. You just look up and you see it on the side, basically. You just look at the biggest investment firms, BlackRock Investment, Vanguard Investment, and you just look at the stocks of big corporations and you know they're all in it. So when people say, can a few control the world? When you control the perception and behavioral industries and the big corporations during a manufactured crisis keep on sucking up more power to the top, they get even more predictive power of what they want to do. So yes, it, not everybody has to be in. You can play on social, psychological, philosophical, existential, spiritual principles, and then just make people do something. Not everybody has to be in it, but you need to have some core institutions, core players, core technologies. And when we see transgenderism, this, this radical feminism, this, this cultural Marxism with everything that's being pushed the last 20 or 30 years, this is, and I keep saying it is in the podcast, I think Jordan Peterson has low-level discussions about transgenderism. I, I think Ben Shapiro has low-level discussions about the left. Why is this caused? It's purposely caused to destroy certain connections, certain values, polarize people. It's done willingly by certain players, institutions in the background. But if we go, like, oh, it's really transgenderism, I should call her this and this and this. This is not organically generated from society because this was needed. This is purposely pulled in the cultural institutions through the perceptions that that becomes the mainstream narrative. And this is often discussions that these people are not having. For me, that's low-level discussions. And this is where that point you just brought up about the transhumanism and war on gender, if you want to call it that. This is where I get validation that this is a good and evil thing. So I don't come from a religious family. I'm certainly no Bible scholar by any means. But if you look at what values are promoted in the Bible, the current media, you know, the current narrative, whatever, it challenges all of those. The traditional family where you had a husband and a wife and kids, like that's being demonized that you should be having children out of wedlock and having abortions and change your gender and even the pedophilia stuff, which is not allowed in the Bible. Like a lot of these globalists are pushing anti-biblical narratives, which sounds crazy saying it out loud, but it's almost like the devil versus God, Satan versus God, whatever, which is 
gives to me like a high level view. Like a lot of these things start to make sense when you look at them in the context of a good versus evil lens, which seems crazy saying that out loud. I don't think it's crazy at all to look at this because you have to have a certain, what is evil? Evil is putting yourself above God. And what is putting yourself above God? However you determine God, that's, that's determining about life and death. That is determining, that's becoming eternal. That is defining morals. What are they doing right now? They're trying to define morals, what you can say, do, act, how you can move, what you can feel. And they want to live forever. And they want to become all-powerful. And in this Faustian deal, they lose their humanity and lose their soul. You can see it in the face, literally. Just physiologically, you can see it. Look at Bill Gates. Look, look, look at yeah, all these people. Look at Fauci. Look at all these people. Just look at them and see if you see a human who cares with empathy. You don't even have to think about all the numbers and statistics. Just look at them. They have to trade a part of humanity to so-called supersede humanity, but they lose everything that makes life meaningful. You brought up a couple of these people who seem lifeless, Biden, Fauci, Boris Johnson. Are you even convinced that those are still the original people? I don't. Yeah. Listen, at this point, when they would pull off the scalp of their skull and I would see just all like bites and, and on and off switches, I wouldn't be surprised for a second. The way how these people are acting. Or, I, I mean, this is. I can't prove this. I'm not saying this is the case, but I wouldn't be surprised at all that there's, there's something unhuman about them. They're unhuman. People have, people have spent a lot of time looking at photos of Joe Biden from like decades ago to photos now. Things like how his ear connects to his face, his hairline, like the shape of it. And he's, it, there's differences that are dramatic. Like in old photos, I don't remember which one it is, but like his ear like hangs down lower, if that makes sense. Like his earlobe is longer. And in new photos, it's like not. Like how does your earlobe change when you get older like that? That's weird. Have you seen the <laughs> wife of Bill Gates, ex-wife, how she used to look and how she looks now? Yeah, she's like Kevin Klein now. Like it's kind of weird. <laughs> and even Zuckerberg, he was kind of like a normal looking dorky kid. Now yeah. he looks like a robot. Something weird is going on with these people who are put into the public eye because it's a lot easier to control a robot, right? I mean, they're literally programmed to follow instructions. Yeah. And in the end, it's almost like there could be, you know, uh, transhuman people or robots or alien race. Like, hmm, how can we best control the world? Yeah, let's do this. Let's do this, you know? And then in the end, this is why I still have a question mark about the depopulation agenda. But what one thing is clear for these people, and most people don't understand this, they don't need people anymore. You're useless. They can replace you by robots. You gave them your freedom, freedoms, gave them your rights, you gave them your money, gave them your attention, and now you're useless. You're just an app that has to be updated and else you're discarded and removed from the phone. You don't have any value for these people anymore. Like when you were a landlord, these people had to work, bring in the hay and work for you, you know, and make sure that you also got enough tax. But at this point, how everything is so centralized and sucked to the top and like replaced by technology, because most jobs will be replaced by technology and robots in the future. So that's another way to have universal basic income or whatever, or you need less people because people in Africa, they need to have a lot of children to, you know, work on the land. People are just not useful anymore for these people. And when you combine to the, anti-nuclear family, the anti-masculine feminine relationships, the plummeting of the sperm rate, 
the question what the does on the sperm rate, the climate change, humans are parasites and, and polluting. You see this whole humans are polluting and the necessary agenda purposely being pushed the last year. That makes you wonder if these globalists, whatever you want to call these small group who controls people, is it possible they're not human? I don't know. That's kind of crazy. There was, I did spend some time this past year talking to some biblical scholars about this whole idea. If, if you are truly believe that the Bible is true and everything is that happened in the Bible happened, how do you explain, like, could aliens exist? You know what's funny? Everybody should watch the It's my favorite series ever. And uh, stop the Netflix field, delete Netflix, download the top 250 EMDB movies, and go back to the classics because you don't know how much edutainment is brainwashing your view of reality. Go back to natural, traditional patterns with good characters. The Twilight Zone is my favorite series ever from the end of the 50s and beginning of the 60s and watch the episode which is called i think to serve man and pause here if you don't want me to spoil what it's about and watch the episode i think you can find it on daily motion but basically it's an episode where aliens land on the planet and they have an old book which they translated at the at the cover it says like to serve man and they give them all the technologies they get rid of the poverty they're like healthy you know, super advanced technology they bring to the planet and they keep on like, you know, some people love it so much that they want to go to their home planet. And then the, the, the there's like finally also again, some people who go to the uh, alien ship. And then there's the guy who's been like trying to translate the book all the time. And then, you know, just as that staircase goes like up and other people go to the home planet, he says like, no, 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 it's not a book about serving man. It's a cooking book. And that was the end of like, oh, they made them fat, you know, and like juicy so they can serve men. <laughs> and that was just just a ringer, you know, and I, I watched it again and it has such a link with what's going on right now. So another movie series that I've watched several times is the whole Alien movie series. And one of the crossover ones was sort of a cheesy title, but it was Alien versus Predator. That was kind of the idea was that these alien species kind of hunted and they used humans as like their pods to grow themselves and as food and that we were really here to serve the, this alien culture, which kind of brings me to one of my favorite red pill conspiracy theory topics, which is Antarctica. We know so little about Antarctica. What goes on there? Why do all these movies have aliens living below the ice in Antarctica. I don't know. I talked anyone. about it with a guy who people can check out uh, our Flat Earthers Crazy podcast with uh, David Weiss. Amazing. He showed like a whole presentation. And you have Antarctica, which you can't fly over, which is crazy. And you had testimonies from, I don't know what the name was. It was General Something, who was a adventurer. And he said, like, oh my God, there's land out there. It's so big, it's so vast. You have so much resources out there. But then a while after he, he died, but you can still find that interview, hopefully somewhere online in black and white. So there's very much mysterious things there. What's going on there? What did your guest, like, what was his conclusion about Antarctica? I don't know exactly. Like a secret base, a lot of resources. 
that are okay. out there and that are just like being kept for people who have the knowledge. He also, which I like about some flat earthers, they can describe the known world, but then it's like the limits of what they know, know that it is. And that doesn't make any sense at all, but very good episode to watch. Like one of the most informed guests ever. But then again, the moon landing and all the stuff that we are told, like, oh my God, this thing in the beginning, you like have a shock. It's like, what the hell? Your eyes goes open. And then as a kind of calm to question things like, oh, cool. The world is not as I thought it was, but that's also interesting. So hmm, the world is not as I thought I was. So maybe I can create more by thinking what I want to create or how I want the world to be, or maybe I'm more powerful than I think I am, you know? So I went in this whole journey. The beginning of the podcast was a bit dystopian. I get it. But I went from anger to grief. And now we're like, I'm trying to find ways and also see the beauty in it. Still expect a lot of uh, conflict in it. But sometimes I'll laugh with some stuff because it's so ludicrous. It's so ludicrous. I think at this point, it's like so ridiculous. Like, you know, I, I just shrug sometimes and move on because it's, I'm, I'm tired of giving my, my attention and my money away because evil tries off sucking attention. That has been a bit my stages of, of going through this whole period. For me, some of these theories, like flat earth theory, just as an example, I mean, they challenge everything that I've believed my whole life. Like, I never questioned that the Earth was a sphere that flew around in space. The idea that that wasn't true is really difficult to even entertain. But there are some, some questions about the, nobody that I know in real life has ever been to space who's looked back on the Earth and said, this is what it looks like. So we just, there's a lot of trust here. We have to trust that what we've been told about the earth is true because it's very difficult to validate that theory. We're not allowed to go to Antarctica. We're not allowed to fly over Antarctica. I don't know anybody who's gone to space. How come when they had the moon landing, they had this like phone, you could call earth from the moon. And then we didn't seem to have that cell phone for like 50 years. Have you seen that moon lander? How it looks. And we, why haven't we been back to the moon? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I probably wouldn't have questioned it if I hadn't seen the YouTube video of Buzz Aldrin telling this little girl that it was fake. I was like, what? So this is, this like is the thing that I also learned and you want to stay critical and everything that I do, this is all the main mission of my podcast to think for yourself, think critically, see different perspectives. You don't have to agree. Just something you can think about. You can make up your own mind. But when you see and, you know, just because I mentioned that he doesn't mean I believe in them, but when you listen to people with uh, near-death experiences, maybe with ghosts, other body experiences, astral travel, organ that William Reich talked about, other ancient that, that, that lived about of, of not living off sunlight or, or other holistic therapies, you see that it's always been put in the weird woo-woo direction. But when I see now how I'm being labeled as an anti-vaxxer or non-nonsense, or it isn't like something that you can talk about. I question a lot of innate intuitive knowledge or things that are not being taken into the religious books, the psychological, the biological books that have some truth in them or have some knowledge in them. So I'm much more open to it. Doesn't mean I immediately buy into all the woo-woo and weird stuff, but I know much more that I find it weird. I find it woo-woo. I find it nuts because I was told that it was nuts because that was the frame and the narrative that was told to me. And I thought just as a lot of people are like, yeah, I did my research. No, you didn't. You followed the thing that you were told and you just repeat it. I think people who are so adamant that one of their belief system is the only option. I find that not helpful to anybody. 
there's so many things we don't know. And if you dismiss anything as possible, first of all, I think you've been brainwashed or you've been manipulated. And two, you're going to miss out because it's only by entertaining possibility that you're really going to, we're ever going to find out what, what it's really all about. Yeah. And this is what I also want to end the podcast with that despite all the stuff that happened and the horror and the totalitarianism, I did have a lot of deeper, more meaningful, more valuable conversations with people than I ever have. And you have the people who just are fearful, follow the narrative and go on living their life. And you have people who question things, question themselves, question narrative and values, but that makes you go deeper and have something much more meaningful. So even if your comfort convenience can shrink or those superficial options shrink, you kind of get condensed to the essential of what it means to have a meaningful life and what you're here for, which almost gets to a spiritual or existential experience. But just as Viktor Frankl, who was in the concentration camp and wrote the book Men's Search for Meaning and still found meaning in that, it's not so dire right now, you can still use this to see the beauty in it and this transformation that is created in your life on the outside and with your friend circle. For people who want to check out more about you, your projects, and want to follow you, where can they find out? more about you and your teachings? Yeah. So my business partner, Kara, and I are launching a crypto education program. It'll probably be launched by the time this airs. So we'll have a link in the show notes for you to come and watch our free class to kind of see if it makes sense and is a good option for you. So we'd love for you to connect with us through that. Probably this will be covered in your course, but for people going into 2022 and they want to secure, expand, or protect their financial assets, what is kind of a financial strategy you would suggest people to do or use? So personally, I'm diversifying. I don't want all my eggs in one basket. Uh, I think that learning about different investment options is wise. So some, you know, crypto is not the only option. People like real estate. Some people like the regular stock market. Some people like crypto. I would find one that genuinely interests you so you can study it and develop some expertise and some mastery. You can make money in any of those plays, but you're not going to do well if you just really have no idea how they work or what they're all about. And that's what our crypto program is really for, is to help teach people how it works. What projects do we think are a good, good investment? Which ones would we stay away from? How can you make some money so you can grow your own personal wealth? It's truly, you know, we're not going to use the word coaching program because we really want to be an education. Like I want to teach you how to become an expert in this area so that you have control over the decisions you make. You're not relying just on me to tell you what to buy or what to sell or whatever. One last thing I'm curious about because you sometimes post about it and I'm wondering how you juggle, how you're going to get involved in it. When the metaverse would be there and you would be could be living online, having meetings in the metaverse and then just be tracked all the time by everything you do in the metaverse, in the constructive world. How will you strike the balance between making use of this technology, but also saying like, well, I don't like to give so much data to governments and corporations? See, I'm still in the school that, or I'm an advocate for Web3, which is decentralized. So the metaverse is more like a mall where there's a whole lot of different stores in it. And you can go to a store you like or not a store you like, where this is where we have to challenge Facebook's metaverse. They would, that is one option for the metaverse. I don't think it is the only option. To me, it is more like a visual version of the internet where you can have a different type of experience, but nobody owns the internet, which is awesome about the internet. Nobody owns email. Like 
you can't tell me I can't email someone else. But you do own my Facebook. I mean, someone, Facebook owns my Facebook profile, so they could tell me I'm no longer allowed to use that. So to me, Web3 Web represents a metaverse where no one owns it. It just creates a new way for us to interact with people. Every individual is going to have to have some balance because if you love your life in the metaverse more than you love real life, that's, I think, going to be a source of depression and unhappiness. It's kind of like the Ready Player One. I don't know if you've read that book or seen that movie where people like their metaverse life better than real life. That is what I don't want for people, but it doesn't have to be that way. You could have a life you enjoy and then the metaverse supplements that or creates a different level of connection. I don't have a pessimistic view that the metaverse is going to be terrible, but I think it can be probably addictive like other things like gaming can be addictive and social media can be addictive. So you, we all have to decide how to have a healthy relationship with it and not let it become too much. This is why I don't want the globalists to send us all to live in our shitty little smart city cubicle things where we have no life and the metaverse is your only option. Like that to me would, would be unfortunate where if we fight that I'm staying in my rural town where we have lots of land and can be outside and the metaverse will be a way for me to virtually visit places without having to get on a plane all the time. So I have kind of a positive outlook on the metaverse at this point, provided it can be decentralized so that no one entity tracks us, controls us. And I think it really comes down to the nuclear family and teaching our children how to have a healthy balance between edutainment and escapism and real life and teaching them the values, how to navigate it. So I, I love a quote that says like, uh, the real heroes are the great parents. So for our generations, the next generations to pass this on, what we know creates really connections in a meaningful life while the worlds get more and more digitized. I think it's a crucial role that we have. And as a parent, that's a tough battle. I have a 12-year-old who would rather play video games than do other things. And so I think it's easy to say, yeah, we're just going to teach them that healthy balance. I just as a parent, I'll tell you that it's not easy to compete with video games. They, they are a powerful lure for their attention. So we're doing our best and we're taking a stand. And I hope people protect their assets and make a difference online and keep on teaching meaningful things. That's what I'm here for. That's also what you're going to teach people. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast and spreading the wisdom, Molly. Philip, it was great to chat with you. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe and support our mission of freedom of speech. With increasing restrictions on fundamental freedoms, we believe that now, more than ever, is the time for you to be an online coach or consultant and become independent from the system. That's why we created the Client Closer Academy. Learn how to consistently enroll clients and join a community of fellow free thinkers who value personal responsibility, speaking their truth, and making an impact. Find out more at clientcloser.com slash academy. Rant over.